Welcome to the Irish Spirits Podcast. This mini episode is called The Interference Interlude, which aired on Friday, 30th of July. If you want to drink along with us, you can find out what we were sipping on over on our Instagram at Irish Spirits Podcast. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Irish Spirits, a podcast about folklore and drinking, our two favourite kind of spirits. If you haven't listened before, in each episode we have a theme, whether it's ghosts, fairies or mythical creatures, we will discuss the stories and lore, all while drinking a cocktail based on that theme. Except for tonight. We are unfortunately not together, nor is this a proper episode, but believe us, we tried. Everything about our connection was well and truly haunted and try as we might, there was some serious technological interference, paranormal or otherwise. Also, our Quiva had her impending holiday and Alex has a little baby. So instead, the guy sent me over a couple of spooky tales on the theme of interference and technology. I know, we're hilarious. But it is business as usual in two weeks as per. First up with a supernatural obtrusion is Quiva from all the way down in West Cork. Hi, this is Quiva. So unfortunately, we have had some technical difficulties, which meant that we couldn't connect for this week's episode and had to postpone it. We will re-record it for our next episode, but in the meantime, we are substituting some solo content. This is a special bonus episode. It will be missing the banter and the reactions, but at least I can say as many WH words as I want to without being made fun of. What do you think of that? So, for my part of our special episode, I wanted to talk about how Irish fairies, always mercurial and tricksy, have interacted with technology in Ireland. We have talked a lot about the she, the people of the mounds, in other episodes. There are fairies and are gods, and have even overlapped significantly with... Christian beliefs in Ireland. A belief in an almighty god, as well as the Tuatha Dé godlike creatures who resided in the other world, might seem at odds, but we managed to make it work. I'm going to be drinking a Curious Society Pilsner, a crisp and refreshing beer with an intriguing label. I chose it because I liked the design, which features some fae, colourful animals exploring the sciences. I thought that that would be appropriate for this episode. So in Old Ireland, In a very general way, Irish people had a tendency to blame the fairies for any luck that was bestowed on them, good or bad. So when we're talking about old tech, maybe farm machinery, sewing machines, that kind of thing, if that malfunctioned, they might think that they had invoked the ire of the fairies. In the same way that other people might think that there was an unhappy ghost or spirit interfering, or that they had incurred the wrath of God or gods. The she, the fairies, were our scapegoats, particularly in rural Ireland and up to the 20th century. There are still some superstitions that pervade today. For example, many farmers and landowners who may purport to be rational, even scientific people, will still avoid cutting a hawthorn tree, long believed to be inhabited by the she or a gateway to the other world, that's on their land to avoid incurring their wrath. 
This wrath is a pishog, a curse, not unlike the evil eye that affects someone who has wronged the good people. Although there are superstitions still alive in Ireland, belief in the fairies significantly declined with the electrification of Ireland in the 1940s. The rural electrification scheme from the ESB started in 1946 and continued until the 1970s. My granddad, Larry O'Reilly, was a part of this. He started working for the ESB when he was 15 as an apprentice electrician. He sadly passed away now, so I'll dedicate this episode to him. Most people would agree that when electric light came to Ireland, the dark, mysterious corners became simply corners, and most mysterious goings-on were easily explained when illuminated. Of course, the easy access to global media helped expand scientific knowledge and went a long way towards explaining those phenomena that had previously been attributed to the fairies. But the fairies were not to be so easily swept from public knowledge. There have been stories of electricity poles being damaged or uprooted when placed on or near a fairy path. In Suey, a town in Sligo, two electricity poles were placed 20 yards from a ferry fort. Soon after, the poles were bent over, so the ASB workers returned to fix them. Over Christmas, however, the poles were found to have been completely knocked over. They were fixed again, but only the next day, one was bent and one was knocked over again. Only the poles near the ferry fort were damaged. In the 1940s, a hydroelectro dam was built on the River Liffey at Golden Falls, the site of a beautiful waterfall in County Wicklow. This was part of the Liffey Scheme Waterworks. The largest dam in the system was at Pula Fuca, which means Pool of the Puka, also translated as Pool of the Fairies or Pool of the Demons. The Puka is, of course, a particularly shifty Irish fairy that we have mentioned before in our Samhain episode, the Stingy Jack, so check that out for more information about that. In order to feed the hydroelectric dam, a village called Burgage was evacuated and flooded to form the reservoir. Legend says that the church bell can still be heard ringing from under the water. Burgage was already associated with many ghosts and fairy stories. At a bridge in the village, a carriage was sometimes seen at midnight. Inside was a woman and a little man in red who was known to fight the night watchmen and overcome them with some magic power. So there was definitely a fairy presence in the area before the dam was established. One of Calm Kill's prophecies has been invoked in relation to the Liffey Scheme waterworks. It stated that there would be a work started in Wicklow which would never be finished and would cause loss of life. It's just vague enough to be applicable as several men died in explosions at Pulafuca. The works have, however, been completed. So what can we say? Technological advancements have certainly affected the superstitions of Ireland. If you're a believer, you may think that the introduction of electricity and the subsequent modernisation of Ireland has pushed fairies further underground. But if these stories are to be believed, they are pushing back. Well, they certainly were when we were trying to record last week anyway. And continuing on with whatever the opposite of divine intervention is, is our resident bartender, Alex. Hey everyone, this is Alex, and on our theme of technology and ghosts, this is a little story from a new distillery in Crawley, Donegal, that's had some issues with its spirit, and I don't mean the whiskey. If we were recording together, Quiva and Laura would be in fits of laughter right now. I thought it was only appropriate that I find something drink-related considering my role on the podcast, and this story combines whiskey, ghosts, and technical malfunctions, so it's perfect. This happened back in May of this year, 2021, a few months after the Crawley Whiskey Company became the first distillery to successfully produce whiskey in Donegal for more than 180 years, which is quite the achievement. 
Of course, this modern distillery had been equipped with all the latest technology, including a burglar alarm. Well, in the early hours of May 18th, this alarm ran into some ghostly technical difficulties and was triggered, in the traditional sense of the word. This was a bit mysterious, considering there was no explanation as to what caused this apparent malfunction. Now, you might be thinking, Alex, alarms are always going off randomly, they're famous for that. And generally, I agree, but the building they decided to use for the Crawley Whiskey Distillery has a bit of a history with these strange, dare I say, supernatural events. Exactly 100 years prior to this alarm tripping, on May 18th, 1921, an unfortunate soldier, Charles Harsant, 21 years old at the time, was accidentally shot dead on the site when the building was being used as a barracks during the War of Independence. He was a member of the 2nd Battalion of the Rifle Brigade and was subsequently buried in the Bunbeg Church of Ireland graveyard. Joe Devaney, who's one of the business partners in the Crawley Distillery, describes the events of the night of the ghostly intrusion. He says, at 1.16am on Tuesday, May 18th, the intruder alarm went off. John Casey, who was another employee, responded, but he could find no evidence of human or animal movement when he arrived on site. There was nothing on the camera to suggest what could have triggered the alarm. The only thing in the warehouse was whiskey spirit, or at least that is what we thought. Dun dun dun. He goes on. 100 years ago to the day, a young soldier was shot dead. He'd been down at a local hostelry, and on his return to the barracks, now the location of the distillery, it is said that he failed to identify himself and was accidentally shot and died there. I've been told the ladies who subsequently worked in the factory would never go upstairs to where the shot was fired. They always feared that his ghost was there. There were footsteps to be heard, and yet no one could be seen walking the floors. Maybe there's more than just our crawly spirit in the factory these days. Could the crawly spirit from yesteryear still be there too? Devney asks in a suspiciously well-rehearsed marketing-speak manner. There we go, getting sceptical again. Sorry, everyone. The now distillery building was in constant use after its stint as a barracks. Firstly as the Crawley Doll Factory, which sounds pretty creepy by itself, to be honest. Uh, and then later by transformer company Nuvotem, who sounds a bit less exciting. The original factory was set up as part of the Congested District Board, apparently, which was provided employment to women in the west and northwest of Ireland. And I just learned about researching this story. Uderos Nigel Tokta, the regional state agency, which is responsible for the economic, social and cultural development of Irish-speaking regions of Ireland, subsequently took ownership of the site. Dunica O'Bale of Uderos talks about the building's haunted nature, saying, Over all that time, the ghost story had existed. I can't say if it's true or not, but Uderos, as owners of the site, are aware of the story of the building, which have become part of the rich fabric of its heritage. Apparently, this new distillery is a project of Uderos and revives the site after it was unused for a full 25 years. Honestly, I think it's a great idea, and they lean heavily into the use of the Irish language for the whiskey and for the promotional material, which is something that's sorely lacking in most of the new distilleries and spirits that have started up during the great Irish whiskey revival that we've seen in the last decade. They're also using the old-style direct-fired gas-copper pot stills and the traditional worm tub condenser, for those of you who might be interested in that stuff. Uh, I'm pretty excited to try this new whiskey now that it's being released, so hopefully I get to soon. I actually hadn't heard of the Crawley Distillery before writing about the story, so if you're supremely cynical, I suppose you could say the whole story was carefully crafted marketing ploy to get some free press for the distillery. Still, that doesn't explain the long history of supernatural occurrences in the building. I hope Charles Harsant was a whiskey drinker. Maybe a delicious new Irish whiskey will soothe his restless spirit, and he can stop tripping the alarms. Thanks to the newspaper Donegal News and the author of this story, Harry Walsh, for this fascinating tale. I do love local newspaper stories. And no doubt Alex will have us all drinking it very soon. <laughs> Cough. A few sponsors wouldn't go amiss. <laughs> Cough. Alex himself was actually drinking a Cologne Blackberry Bramble Seltzer. 
which he says is a refreshing spritz of blackberry and gin distilled with carefully selected native botanicals from the heart of the Mourne Mountains in County Down. Typical Alex. And finally, I am bringing you the sunny southeast of the country with a tale I'm calling The Croppy Boy, accompanied by a Kinniger Session Rye IPA I'm drinking called Bucket and Spade, which has little sandcastles being constructed on it, which brought me right back to summers in County Wexford. In fact, a seaside structure right near the sea is where my haunted tale is situated. To round out this interlude, a very tenuous link I know, but it also includes technology used to record ghosts, which were definitely interfered with, to the point where they even thought they were broken. So, you know, still kind of fits. Now, I know how Kinniger is actually in Donegal, not in Wexford, but the brewery is named after a beach, so that's my link. And it tastes absolutely gorgeous, so definitely give it a go. But the beach outside Duncannon Fort in County Wexford holds darker memories than what I have of Wexford. The place has a long history of battles, sieges, mutiny, plague, hangings, fires. So, you know, plenty of death went on in this location. It is what is referred to as a star fort because of how it is laid out built between 1587 and finished by 1588, under the command of Queen Elizabeth I to defend Waterford from possible invasion by the Spanish Armada. And if you remember our shipwreck episode, it didn't end too well for them. It is in such a strategic position on a peninsula that there was a 12th century fort there before, and possibly even one before that. Duncannon Fort saw major military action during the Irish Confederate Wars. Commanded by the first Baron Esmond, it was besieged and captured by Irish Catholic Confederation forces under Thomas Preston, the first Viscount of Tara, in the spring of 1645. Oliver Cromwell failed to retake Duncannon in 1649, but it surrendered in 1650 after a blockade led by Henry Arton. In 1690, it hosted two kings, King James II, who sailed from Duncannon to Kinsale on the 3rd of July that year, before then heading on to France, while King William III stayed at the fort in September of 1690, when bad weather delayed his return to England. The site where James's boat departed bears the name King James's Hole, which I know would make the other two laugh. And by 1774, a lighthouse was constructed. Later, the fort at Duncannon, commanded by William Fawcett, was one of the few places in County Wexford that did not fall under the United Irishman control during the 1798 rebellion. So the fort and town became a sanctuary for fleeing loyalists and troops in South Wexford, but it was also used as a prison and a place of execution for rebels. Much like the way we had Wicklow Jail there a few episodes back, the site gained infamy as the Croppy Boy's site of execution in the ballad named The Croppy Boy. This relates to the despair of a doomed young croppy or rebel. A force sent out from the fort to defend Wexford Town was defeated at the Battle of Three Rocks, but Duncannon continued to be used as a fort by the British Army until 1919, then fell into Irish Army's hands and later burned down during the Irish Civil War in 1922. It was eventually given to the Wexford County Council from the Army Reserves in 1993 and later opened as a museum, which you can still visit today. And amongst those visitors back in 2011 
were Echo Ghost Hunters, who were based actually in West Cork, where Arquiva is at the moment. They visited the fort one cold Saturday night in November 2011 with their team of paranormal investigators and were guided around the fort by former member of staff Michael Howlin. According to Emily O'Sullivan, the crappy boy's cell at the fort appears to have a residual haunting as the group's K2 metres, which measure electromagnetic fields, kept spiking to plus 20 milligos, which is extremely high. She says, We believe that some type of entity was walking around in there, said Emily, adding that their ghost touchpads went off frequently in the cell. So much so, the investigators turned off one of them as they thought it might be malfunctioning. However, upon examining the piece of equipment, it was actually working perfectly. Unlike, you know, ours this week. During their investigation, two of the paranormal investigators also had something thrown after them in the tunnel that leads to the cell. Another investigator noted, I walked through the tunnel on my own to retrieve a piece of equipment from the crappy boy's cell and I could have sworn someone was walking behind me, but on inspection found that I was alone. It's not the first investigation to have taken place here. Back in 2009, during another investigation, a young male voice was heard saying, Hello? Near the entrance to the moat. The next morning, another person heard a young male voice say, Hello? Again in the dungeon. They thought it might have been the same spirit. Not far from the moat and the dungeon, there is a tunnel, the passage, the same one that the later investigation had been to. And one of the visitors felt a strong tap on their arm on their right side. They thought it was the person standing next to them, but that person denied it. The visitor then called to make the spirit known and they felt tapping again. And then they heard a noise and another loud tap coming from the walls. They searched the walls, searched the ceiling and the floor of the tunnel to see if anything could have dropped or caused the tap or the tapping noise, but nothing was seen to have caused it. Down in the cells, they also had a very strong feeling of a presence and saw subtle movement as if a guard was patrolling back and forward. They didn't think the spirit was actually aware of them, though. They said it was as if it was a recording of the past being played again and again in the cells. However, following the investigation of the one in 2011, that group, Echo Ghost Hunters, had to review all of their DVR system along with full-spectrum night vision and night vision trigger cameras, which took up to two weeks. They hoped to catch something on their audio equipment, and they did. Listening back, they heard what appeared to be a female laughing. There are many stories attached to the fort. People claim to see strange lights as windows, also of hearing people talk when no one is there, and hearing footsteps. The investigators were also told a story about skeletal remains being found behind the main fireplace in the officer's mess, which is a building or room provided for meals and recreational facilities for officers in the armed forces. The officer's mess, which was said to hold the most paranormal activity, was actually disappointing in the night. But listening back, that is where they heard the laughing. Duncannon is home to numerous a phantom with claims of cold spots, shadows and disembodied voices in various sections of the fort. Ghostly soldiers have been seen in the courtyard, keeping watch for enemy attack in some strange paranormal patrol. The fort's mess hall houses one of the location's most frightening apparitions, the ghost of a soldier who took his own life. Legend has it that this soldier was in love with the wife of his commander 
and she secretly loved him. She could never show her love, however, for fear of her husband's wrath. Their love never fully blossomed, and so the love-struck soldier took his own life. People claim to have seen the ghostly image of the soldier walking at the top of the stairs. Others have experienced the sound of a woman crying. Perhaps this is the young lady whose spirit lingers on in search of the love she never had. That was written by Paul Moynihan in his work on the Duncannon Fort. And he also notes that, as mentioned, the fort is home to a network of cells, which are located below the moat. These cells house prisoners from the 1798 rebellion and the most famous of those, as we mentioned, is the Croppy Boy cell. This cell supposedly detained the famous Irish hero known as Croppy Boy, which is a nickname for that rebel, that doomed rebel. And a famous song of the time, which we mentioned in the ballad, contains this verse. Was in Duncannon this young man died, and in Duncannon his body lies. So all good people who do pass by, just drop a tear for the crappy boy. As well as ghost hunter readers going through the roof, visitors to this lonely part of the fort have claimed feeling unease, sadness and even feeling sick. Some have heard the boy's cries, while others have witnessed the ghosts of the tragic young figure. Today, Duncannon is open for tours and houses one of Ireland's greatest maritime museums, with military reenactment taking place on the June Bank Holiday weekend. This absolutely spectacular building is definitely on our list. An Irish spirits road trip, perhaps? We might finally convince Cueva and Alex when we come across soldiers that aren't part of the reenactment. Until then, normal business resumes here on Irish Spirits with our next episode airing on the very convenient, I might add, Friday the 13th of August, with what I can exclusively reveal will be an episode entitled The Hotel Inspector. Stay tuned. If you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could review it, subscribe to us and share it with other people you think would enjoy it as well. Thanks to everyone who has been listening, sharing and reviewing so far. It really does mean a lot. Catch us on Instagram at Irish Spirits Podcast, on Twitter at Irish Spirits Pod, and you can get in contact with us at irishspiritspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Irish Spirits Podcast. It was written and produced by Quiva Creed, Laura Fitzakery, and Alex Buckley. And some of our main sources were thecrawleydistillery.com, fairylandpostoffice.wordpress.com, and spookyisles.com. Find the rest in our description, and we will catch you all soon. Oh, 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 oh,